competitive 40k network presents art of war art of war strategy and tactics discussions with the best players on the planet on the planet with your host paul murphy and expert coach nick nanavati Hey everybody, welcome to the Art of War podcast. My name is Paul, your host. I'm joined by Nick Donavati. What's up, what's up everyone? Very excited for this week's episode. Yeah, our special guest this week is Sasha Alexander. Hey everyone, welcome and thank you for having me back with Art of War. Yeah, well, welcome back. This is part one of a two-part episode. Uh, really happy y'all found us. We're going to be talking about some Ravenwing, some Dark Angels, and, and the changes over the course of this two-part episode. We're going to be talking about your current list format that you've been playing, how well you've been doing with it, and also the the changes you expect to be tweaking as we get deeper and deeper into this Warzone Nephilim meta. How are you doing this afternoon? I am fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, I'm excited to be here and excited to be talking about our favorite hobby, uh, Warhammer. And these past changes have been incredible, super exciting, and I'm all here for it. I'm super excited for this conversation too, Sasha. I've had the pleasure of playing against you a few times over the years. And one thing I always love about your list is they're always so creative in uh, both their list design and your execution with it on the table. It's very precise and calculated. So I'm really excited to see um, how you pilot this Ravenwing army of all things, or an army that we haven't really seen putting up results in the tournament scene, and then also how you're going to change your army and adapt it for the new world we live in. This list has some uh, personality. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it does. So let's yeah. go down the list. Yeah, go, uh, Going down the list. All right. So right to it. Um, so hey, everyone. Uh, I have been playing mostly with Space Marines, actually, pretty consistently since my very first game I played with Nick also back in 2015. And it has always been evolving. I kind of always stick with Marines for the tournament scene. Also, I'm a slow painter, but I would say relatively good painter. So it's He's being modest. He like frequently is in the contention for winning best painted at even the largest tournaments in the world. Slash is phenomenal. All right, maybe. It's more Renman. Renman is my price, but Sean Naden always gives me a good run for it. And Andrew Gonyu for Renman at the MDO. He did fantastic, gorgeous, purple, pink, green towel list. Go check it out if you can. So, no, um, let's go straight to my list. So, what did I do here? I honestly wanted to start from scratch. I felt like we all got a little bit stuck towards the end of last year with a bunch of codexes, one after another, that were overwhelming the meta and there was a lot of, I would say, adjustments that had to be done to bring the game back in. And I always kind of like to walk a little bit outside of the box. So, I was like, all right, what is out there in the Space Marine Codex that I think is is good and that if I play something around it, um, I can actually make it work. So trying to actually play more to the playstyle I like and basically the, the things I'm comfortable and familiar with. I try not to army hop between different factions because I always feel like if I know my own army better than my opponent does, no matter if his army is maybe stronger than mine, um, I still can edge it out by just playing it better. And I feel like being able to repeat games and play the same games and losing games, more importantly, helps you to become better. So with that in mind, I built a Ravenwing list. And really what I wanted to center this list around was the new land speeder or storm speeder for the primary Space Marines, a model I very much liked since it was released, but it was never really good on the tabletop. And I think last year in the last point update, they were brought down 
quite significantly in points to the point where I was like, oh, let's have a look at that. So straight into my list, basically what I have is three Storm Speeder Thunderstrike. Um, for anyone who is not familiar with them, don't take it too bad. I wasn't either. No, uh, maybe, maybe actually talk had, about the stats. I mean, I know we're going down the list, but like what, what yeah. since, since that's like a big focus of the list and you know, it's been know how does, so, yeah, people aren't, are unaware of it. Yeah, let's talk about it with the stats and then, you know, maybe... You know, maybe some other folks will, will become enamored with it like you are. Absolutely. So basically what it is, it's a 16-inch T6 3-up armor with armor of contempt, which really pushed this list, I feel like, from decent to good. And it has just three last cannons. Uh, one of them is strength 10, uh, which is not huge, but it's sometimes significant. There's a lot of T5 out there. Um, and also not T9, if anyone is going to bring Land Raiders. <laughs> so it does something. Um, but it's basically three last cannon and a twin-linked um, Icarus Rocket Pot, which is a 2D3 strength 7 AP1 2 damage 24-inch range gun. So it's not crazy, but the Land Speeder uh, hits on two space. Um, so it's three land speeders that have a 16-inch movement while in Devastator Doctrine, which is part of the reason we're doing Ravenwing. They get another three inches to their movement on top of the extra AP. So basically, anytime I'm in Death Doctrine, which Dark Angels, like any other Space Marine army, start turn one. But Dark Angels have two ways to go with two different units back into the Death Doctrine. It gives me an additional three inch on my movement and the extra AP. So basically, they move 19 inches, which guarantees you to usually get angles. Um, if you can't reach in turn one, you will reach in turn two. And three last cannons hitting on twos and then 2D three shots, strength seven, minus one, two damage. Um, they, yeah, they, they hit pretty hard. Um, two of those speeders are almost guaranteed to kill most tanks out there, like your average Tau, like even a hammerhead. Um, nothing that has a crazy invulnerable safe and things that have a four or five up invulnerable safe. Um, usually the math works out that between two or three of them, uh, they will destroy pretty reliably. So these are just three platforms that move 16 to 19 inches with three last cannons and a secondary gun that can hurt a lot of targets. Yeah, sorry to sidetrack us from the list, but thanks for breaking that down. Yeah, absolutely. No, uh, my pleasure. And then the second thing is the Ravenwing-specific Landspeeder Vengeance. Similar thing, main reason I took him over the other versions of the Primaris Landspe uh, Stormspeeders is because they're only nine wounds, so they only give up one for bring it down. One of the downsides for this list always was that my opponents had a pretty easy bring it down in the first versions of the list, which had even more speeders. So I tried to cut it down. And one of the things I realized is that the uh, Storm Speeder, the Primaris one, has 10 wounds, meaning it gives up two points for bring it down. And the Ravenwing Landspeeder Vengeance is nine. So he doesn't degrade. Um, he only gives up one point for bring it down. Um, it comes with a improved plasma battery. Um, anyone who played Redemptors is fam similar familiar with the stat line. is a 36-inch range, strength 8, overcharged 9, AP3, 2 damage, overcharged 3 damage. So it's again, it's a reliable anti-tank or just flat 3 damage, which is pretty good to have. Um, also in the current matter, there's a lot of 3-wound models out there or 2-wounds that have minus 1 damage. With Tyranid, they kind of lost a little bit just because there's so much with 4-wounds, which is an odd breaking point. But also, they, they are great at chipping out damage. They are fast. They move 12 and death drop in 15. So basically what I have is just 5 
fast-moving vehicles that have heavy guns. They can outmaneuver and position other tanks, usually because I can start hidden behind a ruin. They all fly, so I can just move over terrain to get the angles and to get an alpha strike with them. So that was the core I centered my list around, those five land spears. And then from there, I uh, build on. Ravenwing has another amazing unit, which is uh, one of the HQ options. It's basically the Ravenwing Lieutenant. It's called the Ravenwing Talonmaster. And all it is, it's an, I would say, firstborn speeder with a twin-linked assault cannon and a twin-linked heavy bolter, meaning on 36-inch range, six shots at strength five, minus one AP, two damage, and 12 shots at 24-inch range, strength six, minus one, one damage. And they hit on twos. So basically, here we have two very fast, they move 18 and Death Doctrine 21 character vehicles. So they can't be targeted as long as they're not the closest model. They put out 18 shots, super reliable, consistent damage over the course of the game, high damage output on the heavy bolters with two damage, and then just your one damage chip on the um, assault cannons, but putting out the work. And these guys really... I would say, tie the list together. So we'll come back to them after. Uh, moving fast, um, hitting on two seems to be a pretty good theme. That is the theme of this entire list. So once we come to the bottom of the, the list, you will see that everything kind of hits on twos in my list. Everything moves 15 to 20 plus inches, and it basically hits you where it hurts the most. And I can pick the targets I want to take out before they can take me out, and it rocks. I, I absolutely am in love with this list. I think it's great, and um, I'm excited to share it with you guys. I can feel your passion for this list, Sasha. It's really exciting. I know. Uh, me too. So we have Samuel. Um, he's the Ravenwing chapter master, sort of. He has the captain rule for real ones, and he has the chapter master rule, but it only works on Ravenwing core or characters. Um, so by himself, not amazing. Again, he's a 15-inch move, or 16, might be getting that wrong right now. Uh, but again, 3-inch extra in Death Doctrine, has a Mastercrafted Plasma Cannon, so it doesn't need to overcharge, it's just always 2 damage. Um, on the charge, uh, he's five attacks with strength eight, AP four, uh, and assault doctrine AP five and flat two damage. So he's not chaff, like he can actually kill some things in close combat. But more important is he gives rerolls to my Ravenwing Black Knights. My old list had one of these squads. My new list is going to have two of them. Ravenwing Black Knights are your firstborn bikes, pretty much same stat. They get an extra attack. Uh, they never fail. They can never take leadership tests. So even if you kill five of them and you did it with the Tau gun that does minus two leadership, they don't care. They always auto-pass leadership. They basically have a twin-link plasma that is assault two at 18 inch range. So seven overcharged eight, AP three, one overcharged two damage. Um, and now I had paid for these before, but now I'm getting them free is they also have a pretty decent close combat weapon, which is just strength plus one. So they come in at strength five, AP one, flat two damage. So the Corvus um, Hammer? Yeah, exactly. The Corvus Hammer. Uh, so between the full rerolls to hit, super high mobility again, they move 14 and Death Doctrine 17 inches. They can get ignore cover from the Talon Masters. So it's also an amazing unit. And the Space Marine Mirror Match is their AP3 and Assault Doctrine, a Tactical Doctrine, the AP4. With ignore cover, they just burn through power armor. Nice call in, in uh, the Armor Contempt World, too. I know. I'm so excited. Uh, <laughs> it's like, you're in cover. It's like, I don't care. I ignore cover. I'm AP4. goes down to AP3. So your three-up safe only saves on sixes. And even Sanguinary Guard, who has been a little boogeyman out there, only saves on fives. That's really nice. Yeah. So it's a, it's a great squad to like go out there, get angles, and yeah, 
pick off key targets. And then to finish off the list, to make it not too long, is another bike squad, just their OPSEC and an Outrider detachment for Ravenwing. Um, so they put out some bolter shots when needed, but mostly they're there to hold objectives. And in missions where we have sticky objectives, I have two things really only that are OPSEC. One is my bike squad, um, and the other one is um, I have uh, rights of war on one of my land spears on the tail and masters, so all my characters can be OPSEC. So if I need to sticky OPSEC something, I can do it, which is really important in this list once we talk about how does this works and then to finish off the list itself i have two ravenwing dark talons which are the flyers for ravenwing they are the unsung star in my list because all they are is bait really uh, they are super scary on paper basically what they are is they have two hurricane bolters so 12 shots anything over 12 inches up to 24 but they have 24 shots within 12 inches um your regular bolter profile so strength 4 ap dash 1 damage and on top of this they have the almighty never hitting rift cannon never it's, hitting uh, <laughs> that guy's experience right there <laughs> I, 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 I i kid you not unless i i'm like literally turn two or three and the game is pretty much one and then i'm like oh it's blast d3 right let me roll three shots great <laughs> and it's then dark angel equivalent of a hunter killer missile it, uh, it never <laughs> what does this thing do break it down for us what, what it does hit blast d3 uh, 18 inch range um strength 12 and that's where it ends because if I wound you, you just take flat three mortal wounds. That's it. So you just hit you, and then you wound with strength 12, which shouldn't be too hard, and then flat three mortals per mm -hmm. shot. Doesn't sound exactly. like it. it. It's really good. And the main reason this is great is against Tau. It rocks intro Tau. Unless Tau brings hammerheads and they go first, these flyers just rip apart um, suit units. Because the moment you have six or more models, the Blast D3 just turns into flat three shots. The Dark Talon hits on threes, but now we come to where this whole list works together. Ravenwing has a wonderful strat that any enemy unit within 18 inches and visible to one of my speeders, which I have seven and I move 21 inches, so I promise you I will see you, um, I just get flat plus one to hit with anything shooting that target unit. So basically every turn for two CP, I pick a unit and I get plus one to hit. And now we have six shots hitting on twos, strength 12, so against crisis suits and most things out there, hitting wounding on twos. And that just means 18 mortal wounds right there. I will usually spend a reroll on one of the ones I roll. And that's it. It ends right there. On top, you get hammered by 48 bolter shots, which takes out the drones and the crisis suit meta. I've been on the receiving end of these things with other armies, too. Like, my Death Guard hated it. It's just like pick-up Terminators. Oh, my God. It's brutal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. These, these things are terrifying. You mentioned they were bait, though, which I thought was interesting, because like you said, they're, they're super scary on paper, but apparently they don't deliver for you in most matchups. I definitely want to unpack that, but I also want to talk about how you play this whole thing on the table like as a total package. Because one of the things I always find so interesting about these bike armies is they're so fast that you can play the game at any tempo, any pace you want. You could hide for two turns and play on turns three and four and go all in and try to end it all in turn one, wait it out to turn five and pick all endgame secondaries. What is the strategy behind this army? So the strategy behind this army is a Ravenwing secondary, which has become even better. This specific secondary hasn't changed, but other secondaries have, which make the list, I think, even more powerful. Death on the Wind, it's the name of it. And basically what it does is any Ravenwing unit moved 12 or more inches in the movement phase. If I kill something in the subsequent shooting phase, two points. And it has no cap. 
So if my entire army moves on turn one or two or whenever, and I pick off five enemy units, which can be just a one model thing, I just score 10 points. Um, so it's a pretty guaranteed 15 point um, secondary that I have right there. Does that care about what doctrine you're in or does it just happen all the time? Nope. It's literally, it, all it says is kill something, move more than 12, score two points. And on top, it's actually even easier because it has a second part to it, which is if I charge you and then kill something, I also get two points. So the Black Knights and Samuel, they're actually there for, if needed, ever picking off like the last model or so in close combat. And it also scores me two points. So anytime I move more than 12, kill something in the shooting phase, two points. Anytime I charge and kill something in the subsequent um, assault phase, two points. Normal cap. Secondary. Anytime, especially nowadays, with the Nephilim stuff, you can get a new secondary. We'll get into that. It's a... If you get a good codex secondary, that's really strong. It is. It really makes this list work um, because I actually struggle on my third secondary. The second one was always engaged, which was super easy to score with this list. It was a pretty reliable, I would say, 11 to 15 points. And then for my third one, which was something I had always struggled with, but I wanted to stay in a single detachment, so I couldn't take any infantry. So all shadow operation secondaries were a no-go for me, other than teleport hammers, which is really difficult to do. Had to be a kill one, which is usually assassinate, bring it down if my opponent also had a bunch of vehicles, or the one where you score up um, how many infantry models you kill and you score up the wounds. So that one was always the iffy one. So the, the, the biggest weakness this list really had was playing against armies that didn't really give up a secondary on a kill. Um, and were also super tough. So the biggest boogeyman for my list was Custodes. And the moment Custodes got nerfed, I was like, all right, it's time for this list to shine. Oh, you're like, you're unshackled. Unshackled. That's sure? How long have you been playing that? I, I thought you were still on your Black Templars kick. Uh, I, I started toying and list building with this list back in like November, really, last year. And then just slowly got all the models, had to assemble them. I unfortunately don't have as much hobby time anymore as I would like to. Too busy snowboarding and traveling the world. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the Black Templar house. Uh, not to, not to sidetrack us, but the Black Templar, that's the army that I saw you playing, right? In yeah, Dallas. exactly. Yep, yep, yep. Black Templar is what I played in Dallas. Um, and I'm playing this Ravenwing with similar models. So it's, it's still painted in yellow, so it's painted in the heresy colors of the Imperial Fist Templar. And also everything is converted in my list. So all the bikes, uh, I actually primaris outrider bikes and I cut off the bolters and put on little plasma guns, the tip from the hell blasters. And like everything in this list is converted to look like a dark angel model or That's as close cool. to the actual yeah. dark angel models but they all look like templar brethren from yeah the imperial fist chapter Can you still run cypher you should run cypher i should run cypher in a different universe <laughs> not in this one um hey this is a competitive show to yeah. heretics oh, my bad. We'll I, save forgot. That. I forgot <laughs> okay we'll bring it back yeah so those were the secondaries i chose and from here, really, I would say the main part where this list comes together, right? I mean, we broke down the list, but I never really pay too much attention. So I will just quickly go over it. So what is this list? This list is seven land speeders that move super fast, two units of bikes, three characters that hit hard, and two flyers. Nick, you ask, why do I call them bait? Bait really is, I would say, a relative term here. Um, if you don't kill them, they will definitely do damage. But everything in this list hurts. I have no unit in this entire list that doesn't do damage. Everything in here comes with, on average, three plasma guns. Um, so I can pick off high-value targets. And I have a lot of, I would say, low AP, but 
high amount of shots. Between the two Raven Wing Talon Masters, that's just 36 shots every turn, hitting on twos, um, AP1, so they pick up chaff. And everything that's not chaff, I basically run around with 10 super mobile last cannons um, and a bunch of plasma, which is where, again, Dark Angels comes really handy because I have a stretch, Weapons of the Dark Age, for 2 CP, your plasma just gets plus 1 damage. So my Black Knights that basically put out 10 plasma shots with full rerolls to hit and reroll once to wound now go up to 3 damage apiece. So yeah, this list really is just super mobile. I pick my fights. Everything in my list can hurt you. And you need to answer. It's like basically you got to turn off fires the moment I commit to the game. And the flyers are the first thing that's right next to you. So usually people need to start picking them off first. And they're relatively durable. After I take out the targets that can really hurt them, they're always minus one to hit for being a flyer. Ravenwing gives me a five up invulnerable safe base. So my entire army has also five up invulnerable safe. If I do advance, I get a four up invulnerable safe, uh, which while in death doctrine, I can advance and still shoot all my weapons. I do get a penalty for minus one to hit, which I can make up with the plus one to hit strat. But it's it's surprisingly tough in the first turns and you must shoot the flyers. The flyers are pretty expensive, so if they go down, they go down. But the reliable damage in my list is really where the speeders come in play. Um, about all the three last cannon speeders, the Storm, Speeders, Tempest, they just fly around and every turn pick up a target. And that's, I would say, where the flyers are big. It's the speeders put up way more consistent damage than the, the flyers. The flyers are more like, a, if they hit, they hit amazing. But on average, they don't hit as good as the land speeders that just hit base on twos with last cannons. And they're usually the ones that stay in the backfield, fly a little bit, pick off a target, keep flying flying, pick off a target, score objectives, and that's usually what wins me the game. Do, do people recognize that, though, or do, does it take them a couple of turns to, to realize where the damage is actually coming from? I think, because this list is very unusual, people don't realize it until um, usually it's too late in the game. I think part of it is also the way you play. You you said you you put your flyers up there, up close and personal, because they have those 18-inch guns, and you want them to fire the 24 shots with your hurricane bolters. It's very natural for your opponent to want to kill what's right in front of them, especially when it's up to exactly. something point blank. I look at that move, and I'm like, okay, I want this plane out of here, so I don't have to worry about it ever again. It's low-hanging fruit. And you, I think you leverage that really well, because you have so many more vehicles backed by that plane, that you can basically go out there, pick off their anti-tank, now it's hard to kill the planes, they muster what they can, they get through the planes. Then the next turn, you systematically remove what left they have for anti-tank. And by the time it's turn three, they can't kill any of your seven speeders. Yeah, if we get to turn three. So I must admit at the MDO, um, where I place five and one with this list, I played six different factions just to show off also how cool the meta currently is. I actually very much enjoy the game. Um, game I played against Necrons. I played against Adeptus Sororitas in round five. Necrons were round two. Let me try to actually get them straight up in order. Round one, I played Chaos Knight. I felt really sorry for the guy. I tabled him turn two. Um, turn one, basically, he went first, couldn't see really anything. I went turn one, picked off four of the Armingers, the smaller knights. I completely ignored the big knights. The big knight shot back, did some damage. I think I killed a plane and something else. Turn two, I killed everything else but the really tough new Psyker Knight. And then turn three, I was like, I mean, he he wanted to keep playing. I never ask if somebody wants to give up. I always, I'm trying to make jokes and try to keep the game like fun enough so that people even try to stay in. Um, and then turn three, I think, of the last night. My second game was then Necrons. Similar story. He hit pretty well turn one. So turn one, I couldn't do much. Turn two is where he committed. Um, he failed his nine in charge after Veil of Darkness, which was unfortunate. But from there, basically, he had two 
shards of Zitan left in turn three. Round three, I played uh, a very good Tau player. Um, he also ended up five and one. I was his only loss. And same, uh, I tabled him basically turn two. Turn three, he had oh, wow. a couple small units left. And same, like, I went first, which was a big thing here, because he had three hammerheads. One of them was long strike. So if he would have gone first, I might or might not have lost based on how those five up re-rollables are. Um, and I'm saying five up because I pre-measured the game. This is something Nick would always teach you so that no more collides would be in range to my flyers. So oh, that he wouldn't get any plus Music to on my them. ears. Oh. <laughs> I love it. It's something you can't control. You did control it. That's nice. Yeah, exactly. So just like try to position, like I waited, like usually my flyers is the first thing I deploy, right? You're just like, put my flyer here because the flyers can't reach anywhere. But here I wanted to make sure that I know where his marker drones are. I didn't care about anything else. I just wanted to know where is his fastest marker drone so I can stay out of range. Um, but then I was lucky enough to actually go first. And yeah, basically turn one, I picked off an entire crisis suit unit. As I just mentioned before, I flew over there, gave plus one to hit. And between the two flyers, uh, they literally just picked up an entire crisis suit with double plasma fusion. Uh, and then he had a second pla uh, crisis unit, which I did significant damage to. I killed pretty much all the drones and one crisis suit. So I only left four of them alive. And they were really well hidden. And that's the thing about this list is unless your deployment has something that's all the way in the corner, I will reach you and I will get line of sight. So are, is every game the same in that? Uh, just as you're going through your game, it's kind of like I, I lined him up, I shot him, he fell down. I lined him up, I shot him, he fell down. Does every game kind of just go, you go first, and or even if you go second, and you blitz your opponent and drive real up on top of them, like onto their ruins so you can see through their windows, and just start blasting and do crippling damage? It's most games. <laughs> it's most games. It's most games. So to game four, I would say I played the complete opposite. Turn four, I literally didn't even score any primers. I played Tyranids, and they had a, a big nine-man warrior break with Leviathan. And again, something here that you always say, Nick, is like you got a pre-measure and you don't want to give your opponent extra move by having them charge anything. So what I wanted to prevent is like, I knew I'm going to lose the primary game. I was like, it's impossible for me to hold this up. So I was like, I'm just going to give up primary turn one and two, um, but not give the warriors anything to charge so that I actually have time to focus on the targets I want to kill and then shoot the warriors. And then I have enough left to score three, four, and five. Um, and I had bottom scoring. I went second here, actually, to score hopefully enough primary and deny his secondaries um, to make up for it. Um, that was the one game I did lose, and it was a super tight game. And yeah. Would you do it again? That's a pretty interesting... You diverted from your go-to strategy to one that I actually really admire, playing KG and using time to buy your, your target priority, basically. But apparently it didn't work out, and part of that is Tyranids, and part of that is, you know, potentially your plan. So how would you assess that? Um, I will totally do it again. So I, I practice a lot with this list, and this list does one of two things. So either I, I blitz you, which doesn't need to be turn one, it can be turn two or three, um, but most opponents, just because they don't know how this list works, deploy not well enough. So usually I win the game in deployment, and then turn two, you're tabled. I definitely want to unpack that after you're done with this thought, how you win the game in deployment. Yeah, sure. But here against Tyranids, or for example, if I would play a Deathwing Dark Angelist with lots of Terminators, or any army that has really good board presence with slow units that are OPSEC, um, like Custodes. So Custodes was really that challenge this list. Like Custodes was, was like, all right, here I need to throw all the brain power I have to try to win games because they don't have enough targets for my secondary where I need to kill something to score two points. So that one wasn't an auto 15, which usually was pretty big. Um, they hide really well. They're small units, really good saves. Um, so that's really why I feel like I learned that KG play style with this list of like, 
staying back, letting my opponent score, having my opponent maybe even overcommit, be like, haha, <laughs> I got this, and then bounce back turn three usually. So if I would play that game against Tyranids again, I now with the point changes, I totally think I would win this without second thoughts, honestly, to it. we It's a over 300 point difference that my list went cheaper and his list went up. Um, but also there were two moments that went really bad for me in that game. So I went second turn one, he couldn't really do anything. Um, he had Shark Ghoul, so he did five wounds to one of my flyers. I spent a CP to give him a four, but one I would save turn one. And then that way I saved two, I even spent a reroll. And then my turn one, I picked up the Flyrand, um, a bunch of the Gons and a Turvigon. But what did go completely wrong was I had moved up aggressively on one side only, where his warrior blob wasn't. I went on the other side of the board. But then I failed a five entry rollable charge with my black knights, um, which which was my mistake. Oh no. I know that pain. Yeah. Sasha, we have a support group. Paul and I have started one for our GW shoutcasting. If you want to be part of it, you just need to apply here. Yep. Ah, all good. <laughs> you, you live, you learn. Because I actually also did a mistake. I was on the very board edge, and between the ruin and the board edge was enough space to fit two bike bases. So I put my bikes there, and then I blocked myself out from my company champion, which I had totally missed in the list review. Uh, but I also have a company champion. Hooray. Surprise. Um, but he couldn't then charge <laughs> because he was now on the other side of the wall. So he looked pretty dumb. And then Samuel, my other guy, was on the other side of the wall. So he could make his charge. But without the support of the Black Knights and the company champion, that charge was basically a sacrifice charge. And I lost 500 points there without doing any damage, really. Oh, um, which was, was pretty bad. a very close game after that fact. And it was still a super close game. Oh, it literally wow. came down to like turn four almost. And then I threw, I was like, all right, you got this. Got your strategy just real quick. And I appreciate the anecdotes. Those kinds of stories make it awesome. Does the decision to play this KG style, is that matchup dependent? Like you described, you did against Tyrants and Custodies, and they're both very durable armies with lots of obsec. Or is it first and second turn depending? Because turn one, it's really easy to put your foot on the gas. But turn two, I imagine it could be more challenging because you're trying to hide. Before we get there, let's take a quick break for some station identification, and then we'll come back and answer that. Hold with us for a minute. Like what you're listening to? Be sure to check out the second part of this episode, where we break down specifically how our guest plays against all the top armies in the game. Want even more awesome Warhammer content? Check out the War Room. The War Room. You'll gain access to the minds of the best Warhammer players in the world with brand new content every single week. Join our amazing community, elevate your game, and enjoy your hobby more. And we are back. Sasha and Nick had a very important question there. When do you know that it's t- it's time to start using, you know, maybe some of the terrain or some crafty movement instead of the guns and the assault? Um, it really comes down to the list I play um, against. So as I had mentioned before, I feel like most of my games I win and lose in deployment with this list. It's a very unusual list, so most people don't know exactly how to deploy against it. And then really, once I start seeing how the deployment goes, how the mission goes, and I would all secondaries. If my opponent, for example, chooses kill secondaries, like bring it down, which is a very tentative secondary against my list. I give up 14 points. But those are the kind of things that make me then decide, all right, I can go all out 
because I don't have anything to lose really, or I will play KG, play the mission, deny my opponent, bring it down points. My speeders are super fast, mobile. I can hide them as long as I want, or maybe they take assassinate. I had four characters in the list, which was a huge mistake if they would do because they're super fast characters. Like unless you table me, you do not get to them really, or maybe you get one or two of them. But that is the main thing. It's the pick of the secondaries um, is a huge influence on it. If you pick anything that needs you or forces you to kill some of my units, then I can go, all right, I can go actually much more passive. And if you take secondaries that are just scored by having board control, then I need to play more aggressive. But even then, as I said, for example, against lists that have very tough board control with slow units, um, my list is fast enough that the first turns I can just sit back, not give you extra movement by allowing you to ever charge me, um, which is where a lot of slow armies actually get their movement from. Um, it kind of doubles your movement. If Terminators move five inches, if they advance, at most they can go 11. But if they move five and then charge something that's maybe nine inches away because they had a plus two from a chaplain and then they consolidate and pile in, now, all of a sudden, they went 16 inches, 17 inches in the charge assault phase over the maybe 5 up to 11 inches in the movement phase. So that is really something where I then keep back, keep my units, chip away damage. I can reliably do damage every single turn. I usually don't drink a lot of damage in those matchups on distance. And then I can bounce back when I need to and start engaging. It sounds almost like you use your speed to an advantage based on your opponent's speed as well. If they're a slow army, you don't go near them, so you can really capitalize on the fact that you can always just stay at arm's length and keep shooting them. And if they're an army that could theoretically catch you, you just use your speed to blitz them so you get the first strike in first. Exactly, exactly. That's pretty much what my list plays to. It's a very... I, I, I don't need to know exactly what your list does prior to every game. And this is something I would recommend everyone take the five minutes to go with your opponents through your opponent's list. A lot of my friends always ask me like, Hey, how do you do so well in games? And I'm like, well, you don't need to know every codex, but you need to know what your army is weak against. And you can usually ask your opponent, be like, Hey, just quick rundown. What does your list do? Right? Like, this moves this, this moves that. What does this gun do? What does this gun do? And then do you have like one or two strats that you would say are like super strong? Um, and 90% of opponents I have faced at GTs, major events will gladly share those with you. And it gives you a good idea then, okay, how can I go into this game? Because instead of totally going unprepared and just be like, oh, let me just deploy. I will figure it out while we play. Is like, no, sorry. If you play against somebody who knows the game, you will not figure it out during the game. You will have lost in deployment most of the time. And then don't blame the dice because we all like blaming the dice. <laughs> don't blame the dice. That's the number one art of our preach right there. But you keep saying this line, is in deployment. How, what does that mm -hmm. tell? How do you determine if someone's lost in deployment or if you've won in deployment? Or if you've yourself lost, like deployment is very nebulous. I think a lot of people always ask me, how do they deploy better? It's one thing I actually struggle to teach. And I'd love your insights here, Sasha. Uh, so I feel like deployment comes down to knowing your opponent's list. And not necessarily knowing it, but getting idea of what your opponent is good at, right? Imagine playing chess, but your opponent has four horses. So you know that they can jump over other pieces and they can do a weird movement. And that is, I feel like, the same in 40K. I don't need to know exactly what you do, but I want to get an idea. And as I mentioned, for example, before in a Tau matchup, if you cannot hide your entire list, try to hide those things by distance, right? You don't always need physical line-of-sight blocking terrain. Sometimes the distance of where you are on the board, which has become 
more difficult with the smaller boards, going to admit that. But it does, because usually try to put yourself in your opponent's head. I play a super aggressive list. I can hyper-alpha strike you turn one and table you turn two if needed. So what does it mean? My opponents will usually deploy very passive. So before I even start placing units, I know my opponents usually will deploy behind ruins, far away. And those extra inches I gain by projecting that pressure onto the board just by the, I would say, like list design, I know that my opponents will go intro hiding. And then, yes, a lot of armies start to have redeploy strats. Um, so they could go then again more aggressive or maybe deploy aggressive and then go back if they um, go second. But that threat projection of my list together with then people quite often taking, sometimes maybe I would even say the wrong decision of hiding from my list, gives me the advantage of them being able, all right, I know that from this and this ruin, I'm 42 inches away, which is 36 inch range marker light plus 8 inch movement, and you can't marker me. And that's huge because, as I had said, for example, in the tower matchup, a hammerhead hitting my flyers on 5 re-rollable, on 4 re-rollable, that just took down the odds and almost 75-80% hitting me and then likely killing me to slightly under 50%. And that's, I feel like, where deployment is really important. Is You want to get to know where your opponent will deploy, where you think he can deploy, and then go from there by hiding your units, using your own mobility, using your game plan to your advantage, and measure. I can't stress it enough. 41 inches or 42 inches can be the difference between being hit by a Markalite and not being hit by a Markalite. In the case of Tau, which applies to any gun, right? Like if a gun has 36 inch range and the guy that carries the gun has a five inch movement, that means he has a, pro- uh, a threat range of 41. If you're 42 away, you don't need to hide. You can be straight up in the open. He can't reach you. And yeah. those are the things that I feel like deployment affect a lot is for the key opponent units that shoot a lot. Um, you can pre-measure to try to stay out of the angle. And yeah, we, we talk about that as the total threat range yeah. like you that's something to be aware of with anytime you're, you're going up against an unfamiliar army it's like what is that model's total threat range do you ever feel like your plan is too all in when you do go for it and you let's your opponent turn one dev doctrine let's shoot him with the entire army um to do so you end up on your opponent's doorstep and i imagine against some factions they can take a turn of raven wing firepower and just hit you back ultra hard I recall a game I actually played against Ravenwing uh, about a year ago, almost to the date at last year's AT- AT- ACO in 2021. I played against our former co-host, actually, John Damaris. He's playing Ravenwing and just blitzed me. I was playing Broken Jakari before they had the nerfs. And he shot. He rolled up and just rolled really bad. And I mean, like, really bad. And I rolled well on saves, because that's the brown magic. And then he... Yeah. He just got Rickrolled, because I, he was on my doorstep and I killed everything. So is that ever a concern of yours? Uh, I try to avoid that. Yes. So I always try to play to the dice. So I never put myself in a position where I know if I roll bad. I try not to. I mean, there's games where I'm like, all right, I'm going to lose this game no matter what on primary, secondary score. If this turn, I don't manage to swing the score, which sometimes I'm like, all right, I might need a little bit more luck than usual. But I never try to do it in a turn where the game is still open, if that answers your question. So when you do it turn one, you're like certain it will be a crippling blow. You won't just do that for the risk of it. Uh, it is crippling because even so I move super fast, I still stay out of range for you to do something in return, right? Like that's the thing. My list is fast moving at long distance. So I can, I, I don't overcommit. Like it's not that I need to get an engagement range or within 12 inches. That's why I think this list is so much better than your traditional old Raven Wing list that had attack bikes and, and a lot of those units because they want to get in 12 inches. My list works. The flyers want to be close. Hashtag bait. Everything else in my list really stays away at like, 
24 plus inches. Um, the Black Knights are a unit that I use to really threat uh, one of the sides of the board. I can pregame move with them 12 inches, then I move 17 inches, turn one, then I charge something, and then I have a strat that I can move 17 inches away before you swing back at me. So the only unit that, other than the Flyers, needs to get close to you has a lot of tricks to get away from you also again. I missed that detail and the rest of your of army. I did not realize you were operating in 24 inches away. That really gives me a whole new level yeah. of respect for your army on the crack 24 path. to like more, really. Yeah. Like my list works at 36. I only need to get within 24 for the 20 cross rocket pod on the land speeder storms. Everything else is 36 plus. You so I can stay 24. The, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, assault cannons. Yeah. Yep, yep. Oh, yeah, no, we're talking a lot about deployment and movement and range bands and things like that because this our army is largely keyed upon that. And we'll talk more about this. Remember, this is part one of a part of a two-part conversation in part two. But we're coming up to a section where we call the cunning and brutal or the brutal, brutal and cunning segment here. Like, is it brutal but cunning or is it cunning and brutal? I think it's up for the it's people cunning to decide. And the people have to decide. All right, everybody, let us know in the comments or in our contact email, or just somehow let us know: Are we cunning but brutal, or are we brutal but cunning? Yeah, and this is where we ask folks: Is like, do you have you know, with command points now being at an absolute premium for most armies, or at least going to be very, very soon? Yeah, you know, are, are there some stratagems that you absolutely keep some CPs in your back pocket for? Like, what do you think is kind of like a combo that's a two or three step thing that some people may not recognize or something that you just really keep on hand or even engineer your list towards that you know is going to give you an advantage over the course of the fight? Yes, uh, it's the after move, after charging. So while I still have my Black Knights, I always keep two CP. So my Black Knights can charge something, fight, um, usually kill it. But even if they don't, I can spend two CP to move 14 or up to 17 inches again away. Which, while I have the Black Knights alive... Do you ever think of 4 CP for the interrupt and leave play? Not a whole lot, um, because usually my opponent doesn't really get to engage me in close combat, I must honestly admit. <laughs> like, If you reach me in combat, it's usually combats I don't care about, because it's something where I put myself at charge distance. Or you have something very powerful out of Deep Strike, or whatever, but... I, I only have one strong combat unit, which is my Black Knights. Everything else is really around shooting, and I have a lot of strats to fall back and shoot, or I shoot in combat if I need to. Um, so I don't really need to interrupt and fall back. I can. It's my Black Knights are more like a I charge. Like usually, what I do is I wipe off an entire cyberable board. I leave one model or so alive. It's it's literally like the I will swing at you, kill you to be able to move 17 inches back away again, or behind a ruin with my Black Knights. Uh, and that's really the biggest strat I try to keep to CP. I have a lot of really good strats. Dark Angels have a plethora of great strats. I have a 1 CP 4 plus invulnerable safe against shooting attacks. Fantastic one. So I always try to have 1 CP for that. Um, and otherwise, what I try to do is I try to keep CP to trade for victory points. Um, I think it's one of the hardest things in CP management is we all have super cool, fancy strats. But for me, I feel like a CP is only worth it if it generates victory points. That can be by denying victory points to the opponent or scoring me victory points by getting something that otherwise I would maybe lose. Yeah, I generally have a similar philosophy. It's either it's got to be in line with my overall strategy of how I'm spending command points, and oftentimes that's simply just to score victory points because that's how you win this game. Very rarely do I spend command points just for sheer damage or coolness factor. Exactly. Same. I I will completely agree. So that's why I have so many good strats. There's not a single one where we're like, that's the strat I go for. Um, it's more like, all right, how's the game going? Where do I need strats? Do I need my strat? Like, do I need CP to like keep safes? 
Um, do I need my CP to make more damage? Um, so yeah, that's that's the big thing. And also now with the new uh, changes to CP, starting only on six CP, my list works relatively well without any pregame um, selections, which is really big because usually Space Marines actually really want to spend lots of CP pregame. This list works very independent. Um, so I I might spend up to two. That's where I'm currently at. But I'm even like, eh, I don't even need those two. I can even go without them and then just use my CP during the game. So. It's, yeah, I, I'm, I feel pretty good about the changes to CP. I'm really excited for part two, because that's where we're going to talk about how you plan to play this army in the new world with the new secondaries and all that, and against some of the perceivedly new meta we're going to experience with all these other armies getting buffs in the new balance data sheet and where you think this army lands. Before we get there, though, I have one more question I want to ask you, Sasha. We've had Ravenwing out for over a year now, and I don't think I've seen them place really at all. Maybe here and there, a couple people have done well with them, um, but largely speaking, not a faction that's been doing too well out there. And part of that is like they're lowly represented, but why... What separates how you play Ravenwing from how most people play Ravenwing? What can you give as advice to an up-and-coming Ravenwing player? Uh, I think it's really the playstyle that I had committed fully to every unit in my list can hurt you. Um, and everything is ultra-fast. So no matter what you pick off in my list, there's still more to come. And then secondly, I, I must admit, I had more struggles with this list to become good at it than with almost any other list I ever played. Because it is a list that also leads you to be like, let me go all in turn one, YOLO. And then you feel like, oh crap, I didn't kill what I wanted to kill, as you had said, Nick, and then you lose. And that is really a mastery with this list, which I don't even think I fully achieved yet. I don't think I might ever. Um, but I definitely learned that the hard way by losing some small RTTs, um, where against some lists, I was like, ha, I totally got this. Went out, some shots went wrong, some saves were hard, uh, and then I got tabled. And that was really hard because what it really came down to is this list can fall apart fast if you ever reach with a single of your units more than one target of mine. Um, and that might sound like universal, but it really comes to this list because I only have like 12 units that can do something. Um, so what I learned is that if I gave my opponent, for example, the chance that he can shoot something and then with the same unit kill something in combat, that's why I lose the game. And that's really where I had to learn to stay more passive, not go out on the board, stay back, um, not give my opponent's units the chance to shoot and kill something in combat, which if he has two units, that's four of my targets, and that's a third of my list that I just lost. Instead of staying back with everything, he can only shoot two targets, kill those two, but I have 10 units now to bounce back instead of eight. Uh, that is, I think, the biggest secret to my list is learn to get comfortable with not rushing my opponent and play a longer game when needed. Awesome. I think that's really great yeah. advice for sure. It is nice. Uh, well, Sasha, this thanks for joining us here in part one. Uh, subscribers, if you are if you are subscribers, we'll see you in part two. If this is the only one you listen to, please make sure to like, share, subscribe, leave us some comments, thumbs up, and that kind of stuff. That's how other people find us. That's kind of like a hassle-free way to interact with the show. Everybody else, hold tight. We'll be right back for part two. See you in a minute. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com.